Join me in prayer. Father, we come this morning as we open your word asking again that through your Holy Spirit you would lead us uh, closer to you and stronger in our walk uh, uh, and, and in a sense more excited about who we are in you. And uh, we, just, we just thank you again so much for who you are, what you've done for us, and what you are doing and going to do. And uh, we just come with uh, great joy this morning in the sense of, of our salvation. And we come in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, my uh, what we believe section from the the uh, new bylaws or the the, the statement of faith uh, is dealing with the subject of of heaven and and the kingdom of God, hell, the coming second coming of Christ. Uh, let's see what else I could fit into that in a brief moment. Um, and so I thought that what I would read first would be just what our statement of faith says in reference to last things in the kingdom of God. We believe that the kingdom of God came in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it continues to expand by the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the church, and that it will be consummated in the glorious, visible, and triumphant appearing of Christ when he returns to the earth as king. We believe that after Christ returns, he will bring about the ultimate defeat of Satan, the resurrection of the dead, the final judgment, and the eternal blessing of the righteous. All that time, uh, the kingdom of God will be completely, at that time, the kingdom of God will be completely fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells and in which all will be worshipped for, uh, in which uh, he will be worshipped forever. And a couple have drawn to my attention over the, the, as we've been going through the process that we uh, aren't talking about millennium or the rapture in the sense of, uh, you know, tribulation and all of those types of things. And the, the reason is, is we're not asking anybody to make a definitive statement from on your own in reference to what you believe in that as far as, we're all in agreement necessarily because we realize that there is almost as many uh, ways of putting all that together as there are people sometimes. Uh, I've lived, uh, you know, just uh, the only, you know, as a Christian uh, since I was 26. And in that period of time, there's been at least three seasons of, of, of that time where everybody knew the second coming of Christ was just around the corner, just around the corner, just around the corner. And I can remember in the 70s, uh, just after I had become a Christian, and we had our, uh, our church had our first youth pastor down in the Tascadero, California. And the youth pastor was Jerry Foster, who became the, the pastor up here at uh, Grace Chapel. And uh, he, he was, that was one of his main things that he was so excited about was the second coming of Christ. And I remember we all went as a youth group. Uh, I, I was helping him with the youth, and we all went together and watched the the, the series uh, uh, "Thief in the Night." And uh, then then there came out another one, and then another one, and then the big thing to do was to to watch all three of them in one night with the kids. Uh, but 
the you know that in that particular scenario is the the the, the pre-tribulation rapture and and different aspects of it as you look at it and all. Um, I'm not going to talk in detail about any of that this this morning because those aren't really the issues that we need to be in harmony on in reference to the kingdom of God and the second coming of Christ, heaven and hell. Uh, And, you know, we just read out of uh, chapter 21, uh, verses 1 through 7, uh, a, a, a glorious picture of, of, of the idea of, of, of what is ahead for us, if you will. And if you picked up on that and, and you would read the next uh, few scriptures, uh, you know, the new heaven, the new earth, it speaks in verse 9 of chapter 21 of the new Jerusalem. And uh, it says, Then came a, a, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and book, spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you uh, the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall and uh, twelve gates, and the gates, uh, uh, and at the gates, twelve angels, and on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the east, three gates, and on the north, three gates, and on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Uh, and and the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And it just goes on to describe this huge, huge city uh, that that is uh, that was is come, come down to earth, the New Jerusalem. And in that city, you even pick it up in, in chapter 22. Uh, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and the servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. What a powerful picture. And uh, so you have this, this complete picture of new heavens, new earth, uh, the city of Jerusalem at its center. And uh, the question would be for, for some as to why is that so important? Well, that's our future. And if you want to compare any kind of, which is really almost impossible, but any concept or idea of time, this lifetime is a, is is less than a dot in comparison. I mean, it's 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 there is no comparison in the sense of time. We're just and then there's eternity with with forever and ever in the kingdom of God in in the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth. And as I was preparing for this, uh, uh, reading a, a little bit of uh, a few weeks ago. I was amazed how many quoted this or had a parallel quotes to this one statement. So I'm not going to give it to anybody other than to say it's not mine. Uh, you know, 
But the idea is that we can be so heavenly, this was the idea, we can be so heavenly minded that we're not worth anything here on earth. We're just too focused. And then they turn around and they quote C.S. Lewis. Uh, and and uh, one of the things that uh, he said, which I've already moved out of my notes here. But, uh, oh yeah, here we go. Uh, we all heard the line about the danger of being so heavenly minded, what we're that were no earthly good, but surely C.S. Lewis was right. If you read history, you will find that Christians who did most, of the pre- uh, did most in the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is, since, it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. And so... The idea, and I thought that was interesting. Then somebody quotes a, the, uh, a preacher from the late 1600s, a man by the name of Baxter, who said basically the same thing: uh, that we can, you know, we need to be conscious of who we are and that we are heaven bound, and that that is it should be such a part of who we are that it is a natural part of our our day to day thinking. To get up and to rejoice in your 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 life that that part of the reality of uh, the biggest part of the reality of who you are in Christ is yet to come and it has to do with new heavens new earth and eternity and uh, so uh, you know our bylaws tell us that all yes we are in agreement that all of this is going to happen and and even there it, it you know it takes up just a little portion of it but the reality is it's the biggest portion of who we are and in the sense of uh, resting in Christ i started to put down in my thoughts uh, where am i going to possibly go with this as a, as a to narrow it down because there is so much to talk about uh, i've had people say uh, you know well we came up in our bible study uh, Wednesday night, you know, the, the things that Jonathan Edwards said won't be in heaven and will be in heaven uh, that uh, Grant Stockland was sharing with us from uh, a book for, by Sam Storms that was quoting some things out of Jonathan Edwards' work and all the things that will be in, the hev- in heaven, things that won't be in the sense of everything that has to do with God and glory and, and, and light and, 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 and blessing will be in heaven, everything that is of darkness, of sin, and, and basically won't be in heaven. And... Uh, you could just you realize you could you could talk about this and start realizing how much there is to say, and I have to say for myself I I felt in one way that I I want to be careful how I say it I've been amazingly quiet as a whole you know in my in my day to day thinking and, and talking about the idea of heaven and the, and the awesomeness of what is ahead. And I started to write down what, what is it I generally know about heaven. And, and I would put us all into this category. The one thing is, is that we want to make sure that we get away from the caricatures of, of heaven that we're accustomed to. And that we see frequently uh, see repeated. And I see, see sometimes even in teaching and even sometimes in Sunday school curriculum. But, you know, uh, we're not going to be angels. We, have not, we are not angels. Uh, we are created human beings. We won't have wings. We won't be getting our wings. We won't be earning our wings. Uh, even if you, if you, 
you know, I love the movie Wonderful Life, and, and, and I watch it every, every Christmas season because it's one of my favorite movies. But, but Clarence is not, it doesn't work that way. And I felt if I had a little bell up here, I'd ringed it. But, uh, but uh, anyway, the idea is, is that, that, that it is the dwelling place, however, of angels. It is more than that. It's the dwelling place of, of, of God. It says, uh, you know, our Father who art in heaven. You know, hallowed be thy name. It's in, in, in the dwelling place of angels. The dwelling place of God's saints. All who have rested in the promise of Jesus Christ before, during, after his being here uh, are, are the saints of God. And, and we, as we rest in our, our relationship with him, we are part of that picture of, of, of what heaven is and the kingdom of, of being a part of the kingdom of God. Uh, and so it, and, and one of the clear pictures of, of, of seeing the dis- distinction between the reality of heaven and hell uh, is, is uh, Luke chapter 16, and it's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, and you read that parable and you, you see the, 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 the rich man living it up here on earth and having all these blessings physically here on earth. There's a, the poor man, Lazarus, uh, who is left outside his, the gates of this man's estate uh, every day. Uh, he's brought there by friends, knowing that, his, that he will get the, the scraps, basically, from the table and, and the leftovers, and, and he can survive that way. This man is outside. He's, he's in need of, of medical care and a lot of other things. And all that happens is that he does get nourished. He does get some food. But the rich man never invites him into the house. He never brings him into the, to, ta- to take care of him. He definitely, the rich man is never even given a, or never even given a name in the parable. He's just called the rich man, and uh, and and he doesn't minister. He's not, definitely not patterned after the rich man is not patterned after the good Samaritan, and and so that picture is is when when they both die at the same night. It says that that Lazarus is greeted by angels, escorted to heaven, and he and and. and He's resting in, with, with, alongside Abraham. So it's a very graphic, physical picture. Okay, I want you to grab that. It's not all wispy clouds and fluttering angels and stuff. It's this picture of, of, of Abraham and, and, and Lazarus resting there. At this point in time, they can look across and see that there is a hell. And the rich man is in hell. And it says, he, it, it just says about him, he died, they buried him, and he's in hell. And I didn't give much of a, a distinction into the sense of, you know, boom, versus what happened with Lazarus and his escorts to heaven. And the rich man is very concerned. First off, he's very uncomfortable. Uh, the heat seems to be getting to him. And he would like a drink. And of all the people he would ask, he asked Lazarus. He says, Abraham, could you send Lazarus over with some water for me? Abraham says, hey, there's a gulf between us that's impassable. You, you got your rewards in, in, uh, on earth while you were there, but you, you basically you approached, didn't approach the throne of God in the sense of thankfulness or, or concern or compassion. And uh, you'll never be over here and we'll never... 
oh, please, then send some people, you know, to, to talk to my brother. And, he said, and Abraham closes the parable, basically. Even if somebody raised from the, was raised from the dead, your brothers won't buy into it. And, of course, that's referring to they won't, they, they won't enter into it with Jesus Christ. So what I was getting at, though, was just the very physical graphic picture of, of, a, of a heaven and, and, and a hell. And so we have the dwelling place of God and, we, and those who are the saints, and there's a dwelling place of those who have rejected God. And the interesting thing is it doesn't matter how you reject him. The only distinction between the two is whether you accepted him or not. Did you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Son of God? And that's the only distinction. So it has no other, you know, any other aspect of what you did thinking you might be on your way to heaven, it it doesn't matter. It comes through Christ and Christ alone. Uh, The the picture sometimes is, well, how how quickly does this happen? Do we sleep and and wake up because we've got a few words that, that, that are metaphors for death that are used, like sleep and asleep and this type of resting. And uh, I, for one, believe, and, I, and I'm in no small number with this, uh, that, that it's instant. As soon as we take our last breath on here, we are immediately in the presence of God. Uh, Paul uh, says to live as Christ, to die as gain, and he implies it in such a way that it's 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 that immediacy to it. And, and by the way, the value of heaven. <laughs> to live here is Christ. That's an awesome thing. But to die, I win. I gain. And, and you think about it, what he's saying is, is the worst thing the world can do to me is to take my life. And I win. I don't lose. I win. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, Paul talks about uh, taking off the earthly tent, the earthly tent uh, being buried, basically, and, and uh, putting on our new home in Christ. And, and very again, he even talks about light, what we consider as, 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 as mortal and, and valuable for us here, he says, is swallowed up by life when we, we enter into heaven. And again, that, that sense of, uh, of quickness to it. But even even more clearly is 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 again the picture of, of the the parable that I just shared with you out of Luke 16, but also Luke 23 with the thief on the cross. This day you will be with me in paradise. He was referring to as the man confessed Jesus at the cross. He said, "This day you will be with me in paradise." So I believe that it's a, it, that it's a immediacy to it in the sense of being in the presence of God with the the idea of, of our our death and, and going to heaven. Of course, the next question is also what, what's going on there. And, and obviously, it's a place of worship and praise for sure. I think it's much broader than that, much bigger than that. Um, people will ask, well, uh, well, again, the question came up, will we be perfect in heaven? I want to be careful how I say that because it depends on how you're going to think about what perfect is. Uh, sometimes we think, you know, where it says, I will know as I am known and, and I'll have the understanding. And some people think, well, I'll know everything once I get to heaven. No. You're not going to be omniscient. There's only one omniscient. God. 
I, I am convinced that we'll continue to grow in our understanding of who God is forever. And that's just one part of the picture of, 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 of what's going on is that uh, you know, heaven's not going to be... A, sometimes you almost get this, this picture of, of, of something that's just, you know, just this narrow picture. I think it's much broader than that. When we read like we've read the words, the, the streets of gold, the, 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 the flowing river, the fruit, the marriage supper, the feasting table, all so many things that imply that there's more than there happening than, 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 than the, 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 well, let's just put it this way. The praise and worship is more involved than just singing at one point in time. It's an activity that is throughout the, the, what's going on in, the, in the, the, the city of God. And you, you look at, 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 at what Revelation says about what, what heaven is, and, and uh, there were several parallels that I read about what the first three chapters of Genesis compared to the last three chapters of the Bible, uh, Revelation. And, uh, you know, we look at creation. In the first three chapters, we see the creation. Verse uh, 31 of chapter 1 says, And it was not just good, it was very good. Genesis 2 uh, Focuses more on the sixth day, the creation of Adam and Eve, and 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 what was going on at that point in time. And again, the the, the created in the image of God. And then Genesis three focuses on the fall, and the result of the fall is a judgment and a curse. In fact, if you look at Genesis chapter three. And uh, look at verses. Oh, well, there's, there's several of them to look at, but um, what is it that I wanted to catch for sure here? Uh, I'll just go to, to uh, verse 17. Uh, in reference to Adam and, and what God said to him, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat all of the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, and for you, uh, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That's a very grim picture compared to the way, way we started things. And basically what we're seeing is, is that the sin of Adam not only impacted Adam and Eve, but it impacted all of creation. And so we see the judgment, we see the curse. But even in the midst of the, of the judgment and curse, there is a, a glimmer of hope back in verse 15 where it, it, it reads, uh, I will put enmity between you and the woman, referring to Satan, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, which is a picture of Jesus Christ. He's the one that will come and redeem. His, by his heel will be bruised. In other words, it will appear to take him down. He will ultimately rise up and govern, over, you know, crush you or, or, or crush your, for, your power, your authority, and, and, and rule over him. And so we have that glimmer of hope in the midst of the fall. And so 
we have in Genesis that picture of, of, of the fall through the Old Testament. We see a thread of that hope from Genesis 3.15 woven all through it in the sense of anticipating the Messiah, the King of Kings, uh, the Lord of Lords, uh, the kingdom of you know the king of the kingdom of God. Uh, there's hope of redemption, and in the New Testament we see this coming into fruition. We see Isaiah nine six through eight that talks about unto a child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, wonderful counselor, uh, and and we see all of that into the sense of 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 the reality in Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was teaching to the Pharisees who were rejecting him and and asking things about the kingdom. He says, well, you're missing things here. I'm paraphrasing a little bit the implications. You're missing things here. The kingdom is in your midst. I'm right here. They're the same. And so we realize that at the first coming of Jesus Christ, the reality of the kingdom of God, he is the essence of the kingdom of God. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And even though he was there as a man and had set those, that role aside, he was still, that's still who he was. And as he was in their midst, he was saying, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And, uh, but it's not of this earth at this point. In his death, burial, and resurrection, we see that it was finished on his, in his death. Uh, what was necessary to redeem man from his fall was finished at the cross. His burial, the reality that Jesus died, and his resurrection, the reality that he lives and has the authority that he said he has to bring life and resurrection. And it was interesting at his ascension, even as the as he was going, the disciples just stood there looking. And in the back of their head was something that they'd already said, and Jesus said, No, not that's not the way it's going to work. In the back of their head was, But aren't we going into Jerusalem? And so it was like, well, okay, we have to wait until, okay, we're going to just wait here. And the angel said, no, don't, you know, follow his, his directions, do what he said. And, and he will be coming again as you see him leaving now. He will come again. The day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the beginning of the church. And we start to see something about the kingdom of God in the sense of it coming to a fruition, a building of, of believers. Through Acts and the rest of the New Testament, we learn how to live here on earth in anticipation of heaven. We're in the world and not of it. And so how do we live as children of heaven, kingdom of God, citizens of heaven, and, and still be in this world? And that, the, the, the books, all of the letters give us indications of the things and the way we should live, how we should treat each other. I think in Ephesians, just one, one statement that Paul makes there is how we talk about each other. I should say nothing about you and you should say nothing about me that, that, that is discouraging or tearing down at any point at any place. We should only use the words that lift up and build up. That doesn't mean we don't discipline. Don't misunderstand. We don't confront sin. But what it means is that when we're, not, when we're together or not together, how we talk about each other is extremely important. 
I think I've shared before, but I've been in the supermarket where I've been on the, in another aisle and somebody in another aisle speaking loud enough about another church's pastor, and it wasn't nice. And it made me wonder, you know, uh, I, I, I think it, it's, you know, you just, you realize what you say is really important. In fact, we're told we're going to be accountable for our words. So a person who lives for the kingdom of God, the way he treat, we treat one another is extremely important. In fact, so much so that Jesus says that we're going to be known by the way we show our love for each other. How we care for one another. How we encourage one another. How we come alongside one another. The reality that we will mourn together and, and share joy together. All of that is a reflection of the fact that we are part of the kingdom of God and, and we're all in it together. And, and while we, we're not trying to bring the kingdom to earth, Jesus is going to take care of that at the point in time. What we're trying to do is to live in such a way that other people can see a glimpse of the kingdom and say, gee, why are you the way you are? And give a testimony to I was looking at, at, at the, uh, uh, one of the pictures of, of, of the saints in heaven, and uh, it's a familiar passage, uh, Hebrews uh, chapter uh, 11, and I'm going to pick up at the end of, a, of, of, of another paragraph, but at verse 12. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars, referring to Abraham, of many as, as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. This is the Old Testament saints, okay? This is the way we are to be as well. We're told by people, we are these people, strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is, heaven, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And we are in that same category of the saints that are spoken of there as we are, are. This isn't our home. And I realize how much time I devote to and think about home. And maybe a little more so since I don't have my driver's license. Uh, but but the, the reality of, of, of that sense of, of, of I'm very committed to, to, to that dwelling, my physical home dwelling. I have a mortgage. I have a mortgage. Uh, I I have to pay the insurance. Yeah. Uh, Taxes. Uh, You know, and you you look at all of that and you add it up per month and there's a big chunk of my my life that's committed to making sure that 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 dwelling place stands there. And as a result, there's also a great physical part of my life committed to to making sure that place stays stand there because we bought a fixer-upper. Boy, did we buy a fixer-upper. Uh, we've had to rebuild a 
the majority of uh, replaced the majority of the foundation uh, up from the the cement, but the wood part of the foundation all the way around. A number of stringers under the house, some rotten floor, uh, you know, rotten uh, joists, uh, uh, timber, uh, the the studs, all sorts of stuff that we've had to replace. There's a lot of work that's gone into that. So I I, I was just trying to think about that reality of of how much emphasis in my life I put on that dwelling place. And it's pretty substantial. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a wrong thing. But I don't want to let it so absorb me uh, that I'm so committed to that that I lose sight of the reality that that's really not my home. Does that make sense? It's really not my home. If something were to happen to it, it's not... It's not really that critical. And you think about the number of things that can happen. Here we worry about earthquakes. And I, I, I tell people that, call, you know, that I have acquaintances that live in other parts of the country, they tell me, I don't see how you can live in that earthquake country. And I think, I think to myself, I've had far, more few, far fewer you know, destruction-oriented events in my life than I've lived in California all my life. And I've been through some very serious earthquakes. I mean, I can remember one sitting there in, in, in the middle of the room not knowing what to do because I was home alone, and, and the windows were breaking and the covered doors were cracking, and, and it was severe. And, you know, but we survived it. These people have tornadoes every year. You know, I, you know floods all the time. You know, we have 64 flood, but, that, you know, uh, I'm just saying. Every area has got it. And, and the reality is, is that you hear, you, occasionally you'll hear that one person say, well, our family has survived, and, and, and you know, praise God, we know this isn't where everything is tied up. And so I just, I'm not saying it's, that it's wrong to put your emphasis while you're here in the sense of having a place to dwell and all of those kinds of things. But at the same point, don't lose the awesomeness of who you are in Christ and the reality of where we are going and that we, we have, we, these, this earth is not our home. Heaven is. And, and that's where we, we look ahead to. And, and as a result, I, I was thinking Romans, and I know I've, I referred to Romans so much, but I, I, I can't help myself. Um, it's, it's, it just, especially Romans chapter 8, it is so full of, 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 of hope and encouragement. As one who is seeking the kingdom of God, as one who is resting in Christ, keep that in your mind here, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who have live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. What are the things of the Spirit? The things of God, the things ahead, the eternal new heavens, new earth. For to set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set your mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. 
If you've confessed Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're resting in that confidence. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, through His through the body is though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is is life because of righteousness. The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit and dwells in you. So while we're here on this physical earth, dwelling right here, what's the reality of us as believers? This isn't our home. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and our focus is on the things of God. We are to be consumed with that. We are to be, that is to be a major part of who we are. Uh, we are to hunger and thirst after it. We are to seek it out and seeking the kingdom of God is to seek all of this and to be hungering for all of this. And within the framework of that, knowing that it will come to pass with a confidence it will come to pass. Paul goes on in Romans uh, eight, he, he look at the, the where he talks. About, oh, he tells us, you know, that we're joint heirs with Jesus. I, 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 verse seventeen, and we're the children of God. Verse sixteen, we're, we are are, are are children of God. Verse seventeen, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with, meaning that we rest in Him and take the persecution as it comes. Uh, future glory. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Look who is waiting with us. All of creation is waiting, longing for what we are going to have. Because it's going to, all of creation is going to be redeemed in the process. Listen. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that, we, uh, that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the fir- or the who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we, are, we, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for, the hopes, uh, for, what he, for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we, we wait for it in patience. So what does the future look like for us? It, it, it's coming together in such a way that all of creation is longing for this redemption. We're looking forward. We're looking ahead to it. Revelations chapter 20, 21, and 22 tell us what it is. New heavens, new earth, eternity. And, and we're, we're looking forward to it with great anticipation. And then the confidence, the assurance that, that, that Paul tacks on to this at the end. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Keep his promises. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, 
he was raised. Who is it at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are uh, regarded as sheep to to be slaughtered. I'm not going to go into the details there. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. No matter what's happening in the world, no matter floods, famines, persecution, doesn't matter. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What are we? We are, we are here in the earth, but we're heaven bound. We have a future to look forward to, and it is ours. We can rest with absolute confidence in that. Nothing will separate us. Nothing of this earth will separate us. Nothing created have that assurance. And then we see in Revelation chapters 20, 21, and 22 what that leads to. We see very clearly the defeat of Satan. Not only the defeat of Satan, but the casting away of Satan in such a way that his presence, his influence, his, his, his darkness, if you will, in comparison to the light of Christ, we see him as the dark, you know, darkness and not in the sense of the force. Uh, and and, and uh, that idea that, that Jesus is, you know, uh, as we enter into the new heaven and the new earth, there's not a hint of any of that. Nothing there to keep us from growing close to Christ. And, and this is where this idea of we will know. We will have clear minds. Nothing to inhibit us. As Christ reveals himself, for the first time we're going to understand fully as he shares with us, as we understand him. And, we, and I think grow in him even more. Uh, I've shared this with, with a number of you, but I, a professor of mine in, in, in Bible college said, you know, it's, uh, it's like every time that you, you gaze on Jesus, you will see a freshness about him and grasp just that little bit more that will bring you to your knees in praise and worship. And certainly we see that in the book of Revelation over and over and over again. We're told in Revelation chapter 22, uh, verse 3, that nothing, nothing remains of the curse. There's nothing left. And then in verse 6, it says, these words are true. And in verse 7, he says, I'm coming soon. Now, when you hear, I'm coming soon, that's when all of the people really get excited uh, let's see, it's going to be, um, 1917 or 19, or 2017 or 2018, it'll be 70 years from the time Jerusalem became a new, see, at first it was 40 years, we were looking at 40 years, Bob, but a good, a good man lived, to seven, so it's going to be 70 years now, there's absolutely people now looking at that, now, uh, thinking in those terms, and, and I'm not adverse to that, <laughs> You know, and in fact, you know, I'm ready for that. But the idea is, is that it doesn't make any difference to you and me right here, right now. For the people in the world 
here and now. It is in time. None of us get a second chance after we die. This is the end time. And that's why I think it's, it's so vague as a thief in the night. So we won't be looking at that and trying to and, and thinking in terms of the need around us for people to see the kingdom of God. I think if we're really excited about the kingdom of God, there will be people who will catch on to that. Last week I really focused on the king of the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ. Some of our songs this morning really picked up on that as well. But I want you to focus again, uh, you know, in Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, it basically says, these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And it took me back to where we were last week in Psalm 2. I've already appointed my king, verse 6 of Psalm 2. I put my king on Zion. It's already a done deal. And what was interesting, and I don't have the, I, oh, I, I think I do. Uh, you may have had a hard time imagining the reality of life after death when you've only been here. Here is all you know. This, by the way, is Randy Alcorn. Uh, imagine two twins in their mother's womb having the discussion about life after the womb. The one says, there's a whole world out there. There's grassy meadows and mountains and streams and waterfalls, horses and dogs and cats and whales and giraffes. There are skyscrapers and cities and people like us, but much bigger. Playing games like football and baseball and volleyball and going on beach trips. Can you imagine the look his twin brother gives him? He says, are you crazy? That's just wishful thinking. Everybody knows there's no life after the womb. Reality is not determined by the limits of anyone's ability to understand. Life outside the womb, life after birth is real, even if the child can't imagine it. Heaven is real, whether you want to believe in it or, 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 or not. It is real. Jesus Christ is real, and he is the only access to this heaven, whether you want to believe it or not. That is the reality. And so, you know, Randy Alcorn has given his, the, 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 his life at this point after having written a novel that caused him to really delve into the idea of heaven and what it is. Uh, he, 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 it was a, what you might call a, you know, it was obviously, it was a fiction. And, and he turned around and he said, oh my, and he's committed his life really to, to really exploring heaven in a way that has just absolutely captivated my interest. He's written a book called Heaven. And it's not the only thing he's written, in, you know, but I mean, he's written a book called Heaven, and it's, 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 I'll just say it's a good read, you know. Um, and, and he talks about it, and some of the things you might not agree with in the sense that he, he goes ahead and, and, if you will, tries to imagine between the lines a little bit what things might be like. That The important part is, is that the reality, it's there. And we are called to dwell on it, think about it, and, and long for it. It is done. It's, it's in place. My plan, God says, is in place. Jesus Christ, the Alpha and Omega, it's, it's, it's taken care of. It, it, uh, he says, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. Isn't that a powerful thought? 
the water of life is the idea of, of living eternal. I will give to, to, to my children, if you will, without payment. Why without payment? Because he has paid all. What's our response to this? And, and, and all I can say is what should be my response to this. Uh, and, and it should be heaven-minded. And not just because I'm getting old. And I'm not as old as everybody in here. But it's an interesting thing that I'm finding more frequently that I am, I am becoming one of the older ones. My, my cousin informed me that with all our aunts and uncles gone, we are the old ones. Uh, and, and I talked to my sister yesterday, and she reminded me too. And, and, but she is older than I am. So, uh, but all I'm saying is that there is a point where you get older and you realize you're on the other side of the, of the scale of time here on earth. But it doesn't mean we're done in the sense of our witnessing, testifying, and enjoying the anticipation of heaven. And if anything, we should be all the more inspirational to the people around us to, to, to drive towards that, think about it, and to long for it. I want to encourage you today. Uh, study on your own about all the scriptures that deal with heaven. It's going to take you into the Old Testament. It's going to take you all over the place. And you're going to see some things. It's an amazing amount of, of, of information about heaven that we rarely talk about. And it's so encouraging to realize that, that you are, in Jesus Christ, you are a part of that. Period. You don't have to, to, to try to earn it or, or work towards it or get better just before you die so that you can have it. It's, it's, it's there in your confession. What a powerful thing that's happened to us. And it was the foundation before the foundation of the world that the whole plan to redeem us was put into effect. Jesus Christ would empty himself, come in the flesh, and dwell among us. Ask the ushers to come forward, please. Pass the communion out until we've all been served, and we'll uh, share it together.
see each of them still holding the piece uh, together because this is my body that's been broken for you. And the reality of that God in the flesh dwelt among us was, was significant there. And, and he's saying, I've come in the flesh. I've given my body for you. And he asks us as often as we would share this to do it in remembrance of him. Taking the cup, the wine, lifting it, I believe, in the sense that they're holding it up to them to be sure to see. This is talking about this cup of wine. And it represents the blood that has been poured out to purchase the covenant of grace. He asked us to drink this together as often as we, as, as we would share it together, to do it in remembrance of him and to tell us he has come again. It's tied to that promise. He's coming again to do what? Usher in consummation of the kingdom of God, the new heaven, the new earth, a place we are already taking. Let us share the cup. Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to share and a reminder that you have set uh, before us the Lord's table, communion, the Eucharist, thanksgiving, we might come and be again reminded of all that you have done for us. And that in the process, we, we take that opportunity to bring our, ourselves before you. Ask, Lord, that you would reveal to us those things which need to be confessed. Uh, you know, Lord, often we, we, we don't have to think too hard about the things we know, but sometimes there's, Lord, even the things that we have neglected somehow. Bring them to our mind that we might confess. And, and Lord, then have the attitude of, of transformation. Not just to confess and then go on, but to confess with the idea of bringing our hearts before you, a 
living sacrifice that you would transform us. Transforming us, Lord, into the likeness of you. Not anything like this world, but like citizens of heaven, the kingdom of God. We worship you. We ask that you would go with us through your Holy Spirit in us, that we would become beacons for you, uh, lights to the world, answers to those who are, are seeking to know the truth about the kingdom of God, who you are, Jesus Christ. We worship you. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Would you stand?